Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. My name is Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello, and this is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Episode 212, uh, we're approaching that coveted mark of 20,000 faithful subscribers. We're at 19,600 as of this morning. Uh, we appreciate all the support. Uh, before I read our message to our audience, just want to uh, welcome Sal back to his show. So Sal, welcome back. It's good to have you. Dave, great to be here. And that's my, if we could have a theme song, I would stick with that Dr. Dre lead in for, from now on. That, that works for me. You like that? It was a little, yeah. little mellow. You're kind of waiting for the thunder to happen, but it never no, does. I could, I could hear that continuing in the background for the entire length of the show. That just like is a great clip. So just, to, just as an FYI. We'll keep that. We'll keep it without question. Um, Faithful followers now, almost 20,000 subscribers, 19,600. Make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. The rate and review helps us battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. If you do that, we can keep providing you with great content like Sal does here on the Hot Corner every week. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. As part of the show, I engage one audience member live daily. I get back to everybody privately. We've been bombarded, especially since I was away for a week. So um, we, we were overloaded yesterday and today. We approached 800 each of the last two days. So a lot of people to get back with. I promise by the end of the day, I'll get everybody. 72 countries now, grassroots, MLB front offices. We're just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And as a promise to our audience, they created this for me. So I will read this for them. This is for new listeners. Just prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about Baseball, sports, life, as we talk about here, health in general, as this program, like all of our shows, just has no time for the comforting lies that are told. We're going to hit you straight between the eyes. And Sal, if nothing else, people can say we do that on this show every single week. Well, you know, there's so much material to allow us to do that. It, it makes it pretty easy to stick to that message. Uh, I think yeah. some of the things we're going to talk about today will certainly fit that description quite well. Yeah. Let, let's... Uh, Let's start off with Ozempic. I know you, you sent me an article on that. Uh, you know, we were, there was, I was alarmed at the study and we've talked a little bit on the show each week about health and drugs and diabetes and uh, weight loss and just kind of want to throw it at you and let you, let you kind of run with it. So the, one of the big stories this week, well, there's actually two stories that go hand in hand. One is this um, announcement that Novo Nordisk um, which already is making, uh, I believe they make Wagovi. They're 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 working on an, uh, an experimental uh, obesity pill. It, it's called. They're calling it a high dose experimental obesity pill. And what's interesting is it's over three times the amount of uh, active ingredient uh, um, um, that's in there. I'm sorry, it's uh, ribelsis. So that they have ribelsis. Which is one of the which is the treatment for type two diabetes that they've repurposed, off label prescribed for weight loss, and now they're working on this pill that is designed to basically get you before you're obese, and it, it's just amazing how brazen the drug companies are and how everyone just goes along with them in this effort to just get everybody to take drugs. And not at one, not one point in any of this discussion is there the the point about how exercise and diet, even with these pills, if you read if you read the 
information about these late, uh, what are they calling it, late trials, that they're, they're still doing exercise and diet with it. So, I'm sorry, exercise, yeah, exercise and diet changes along with taking these drugs. So it's kind of ridiculous, the statements that they're making. Uh, I put up a tweet just a little bit ago from um, a Nature Magazine, a Nature Magazine, nature.com, wrote an article that used so many superlatives, uh, it, it was like it was a press release coming from the drug company, both in, in terms of praising the existing drugs that are being used, these injectables, and this late-term trial pill that is going to be shoved down, literally shoved down people's throats. It, it's amazing to me. It's happening in plain sight. They, they're not even trying to be tricky anymore. No, it's they, they put it right in front of our faces. They'll do it in the media. They'll do it on movies. They'll they'll dangle it. It's it's almost part of the game. I get I, I get agitated by the useful idiots. Pardon the the bluntness on it that represent our media. And I use that term loosely because all they are they just regurgitate whatever they're told to regurgitate. And you kind of hope that the people that read it just don't accept it as gospel. But I'm I'm fearful that they do. Well, no, and then so hand in hand with the with the article about these drugs, I don't want to jump off of that, but since you bring it up, they Harris poll nearly half of U.S. adults would spend a hundred dollars a month for Ozempic and other weight loss drugs, and then they said uh, demand is so great that nearly a quarter said they would spend up to two hundred and fifty dollars each month, and another seventeen percent are willing to shell out as much as five hundred dollars a month. So they 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 know exactly what they're doing. And Dave, we've talked about this is in regard to other things going on in, in society. We're past the point of no return. We passed the tipping point, whatever whatever the phrases you want to use. This is where we're coming in and trying to get that group of people that already know this is nonsense and they need to have someone to listen to to keep them from falling into the trap of the drug complex being the way to fix your life or any of these other quick fixes addressing uh, addressing symptoms instead of addressing the root causes and, and habits that can change things. So it, it's really it's really frightening. And that story is all you need to know about why the drug companies are doing what they're doing. Now, to your point about the media, this was something that really it didn't hit me until we were deep into the vaccine uh, quagmire that Big Pharma is the number one advertiser and basically funds all these networks with their advertising. And that's one of the other problems. The media are basically becoming the PR arms of these pharmaceutical companies because the pharmaceutical companies spend so much money on advertising. Watch a sporting event, watch one of the cable news channels. The dominant advertiser are these prescription drug makers, which I never understood that because the doctors are supposed to be deciding what drugs they bring to you and then you do your research, not the other way around where you're mass marketing these drugs and um, and and having them, having the, the patient drive the doctor. But I think what it is, it's just a money grab it's or, or a money, uh, a bribery situation where they're just paying money to keep the media on their side. That, that's what's keeping the advertising dollars coming in. Yeah, not for, for one minute. I mean, if people haven't learned anything through this four-year like pandemic, whatever we want to call it, and they're not awakened right now by the fact that medicine is a business. It's not, uh, you know, and as we always say on this show, there's a lot of money to be made in confusion. And 
the, the best the best way to make money in medicine is they create a problem and miraculously all of a sudden they have some magical solution that you know doesn't necessarily solve the problem but moves the problem into another arena and it just never ends like well here's a sto- here's that. a story I, got, I I had told to me by a doctor client of mine not a physician but a doctor who uh, has a client who has uh, crazy allergies and they they've been doing all kinds of testing and she told me the story. I think the, the name of the condition is mass cell response or mass cell reactivity. Basically what it is, is the body's immune system has an extreme reaction to the slightest of stimulus and it makes them that basically they're allergic to everything and they're not quite sure what causes it. We can have a discussion about that. But um, the, the patient's mother because this is, we're talking about a teenager, the patient's mother was doing research on the drugs, went to see the doctor and the doctor prescribed something. And the mother had to bring up what, that there were a lot of problems with this one drug versus the other drug that still could have treated the condition without a lot of the downside. And the doctor's response was, oh yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I'll give, we'll, we'll prescribe that drug. So, you know, here we're at a point now where you even have a specialized kind of situation like that where, where the doctor is just willing to prescribe the first thing that comes to their mind instead of actually looking into what might be better for their patient. And that's what we've been advising people to do from the beginning here. Don't necessarily listen to us, but be your own advocate. Yeah, that's kind of frightening that a, a mom would be suggesting to the doctor. Um, I'm sure she had to pay a, a decent premium to sit in on that consultation, and she's the one prescribing the, the medication for her kid. Yeah, and, and this is what you're you're going to see. This is I saw a comedian, uh, I believe his name is Jimmy Dory. It's D O R E, who did a whole piece about if you questioned the efficacy of the vaccines, you were you were either a Trump voter or a conspiracy theorist or a right wing ideologue. And you know he basically jokingly said, "I'm none of those things." And they basically have equated being able to read. And research as being a negative to the process, which is frightening to see how that has been turned on its head. So, again, just to keep to our mission statement, if you want to call it that, what we're doing is encouraging people to read these studies, read these articles with open eyes and realize, you know, what's going on. We are, we've had the wool pull over, pulled over our eyes how many times in the last 20 years? Vioxx. Right, we had Vioxx that killed people that we were told was a great pain reliever. We had the vaccines, obviously in recent history. We've had the opioid crisis, which has ruined us. So we're we have enough in our recent history to to show that these late stage studies don't mean anything because they're so manipulated to come up with the desired outcome. Oh yeah, we, we we the ironic part about what we're talking about is it should be governed by the scientific method, and what we're dealing with now is they have the solution or the answer they want at the end, and they just kind of work it backwards to make it fit their narrative. And we've endured that for too long. I, I think what you bring about each week here, and hopefully our audience continues to bang the drum on it, is people need to start questioning. And it's not impolite to question. It's it's our it's our duty to question things uh, because too many people just accept whatever they hear as uh, they don't have a filter anymore. They just too much, too much uh, stuff crammed into their head through social media and 
they've lost that filter to figure out what the difference is right and wrong every day. And, and you know, I'm bringing it back to the specific drugs that are already in circulation. If anybody knows people who are on the Manjaro and the Ozempic and some of these others, it's not a very pleasant experience. I have several people I know who are taking them. There is a lot of nausea, a lot of just not feeling great, a lot of other gastrointestinal problems that make it very uncomfortable to, to take with regularity. So these things are not panaceas. And now this 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 pill that they're coming out with, you're, you're starting to get into deeper workings of the of the body, which is never a good idea. And we've, we've had many examples of how these drugs are supposed to act in a certain way. But then when you have the various interactions with other medications and with the body's systems, it never works as well as they do. And especially when you're, you're doing something that's, that, that's um, changing things that has to do with your, your, the chemistry of your body, how your body absorbs and responds and, the receptors that your body uses to, again, react to these these drugs. It's 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 never as cut and dry as these as these companies want you to think it is. No, there's never a quick fix to anything. And I, and I don't want you to breach the confidence of people that you know that are taking that stuff. But my first thought was when you're talking about the nausea and the discomfort, like why on earth would they put themselves through that, um, knowing that? And I mean, it must say something to that effect on the bottle, the, whatever they, they're buying it in. Um, but why on earth would they endure that? Well, here's here's my analogy. I, I'm not sure who said it in the context in which it was said, but basically the, 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 the message is you're in trouble in your democracy or in your government or in your society when people have been convinced, if that's the word, to vote against their self-interest. And we see that now in our political system. We're we have people who are voting certain ways that are guaranteed going to hurt them, and yet somehow that's become a thing. Now we have the same thing here, Dave, in the context of how you take care of yourself. You're being sold a bill of goods, and people think now it's easier to take a pill that is going to make you feel crappy in some ways, then it's better to do that than to go out and exercise and diet and put some work in. Again, people are going to spend five hundred would be willing to spend $500 a month to take a medication to help them lose weight. The best gyms around will cost you probably 40% of that. You could go to life, you know, this is not a plug, but your lifetime fitness is about 200 bucks a month. Magnificent facility. If you'd rather go take a pill and you think that's going to make a difference, it will not. And again, we'll be sitting here, Dave, in 10 years, five years, whatever it is, looking at the failure of these drugs and everyone will be scratching their head as to why. And they'll be looking at the next drug to try to get the magic bullet, and it's just not going to happen. And we'll ju- it's just the, the perpetuating of this cycle with the pharmaceuticals rather than addressing people's habits and getting them to make uh, real changes to their body, re- a real, ba- real changes to their, uh, to their system, to their body, uh, to their habits that is going to help their body. Yeah. There are, I mean, whether we're talking about health or we get in the, you know, we get guys talking about pitching on our shows and hitting or anything in life. And it's, there's no shortcut, you know, to, to feel good, you got to work at it. You don't, you don't just wake up. Even, you know, you and I are, I would consider us healthy. Um, you know, we're past that 50 year old age right now. I just hit it this past year and I, I wake up. I mean, I, I told you my schedule today, I had a, you know, working with 
young kids in our area. We had a you know two to three hour baseball practice this morning. I threw an hour of batting practice um, as we were doing live BP. I was hitting fungos for an hour. I mean, I was moving. It wasn't like I was just standing there with my arms crossed. And then I had six hours of basketball practice with you know with with our teams coming through. And I'm on my feet doing that, and um, I wake up sore. You know, and, and, and uh, yeah, there's the last thing I would do is take. I don't even take aspirin, Sal. With that stuff, I, I refuse to. I'd, I'd rather do mobility training, you know, drink water, fuel my body with protein, whatever I need to do to recover, um, massage. But I, I refuse to touch any of that. I'm, I'm to the extreme, I guess, in that regard. But um, if I ever take an aspirin, I mean, it goes, my my blood is like, it just goes right through it. I mean, it gets to it in a hurry. So, um, but anyway, I get off my soapbox right now. Well, but I mean that you're, you know, you're the extreme, but you know, we just need a little bit of that. You know, I have clients that are just getting multiple prescriptions, drugs on top of drugs to address all these problems instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to take it back. You know, it's like when you redo a house, you're going to take it down to the studs and rebuild it. And, and you, you have to do that because you don't know again, the interactions of these drugs and how they do and don't work when you're all stockpile, um, uh, layering them on top of each other. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it goes back to the concept we spoke about earlier, the the concept of the mismatched diseases where we have a thing like type 2 diabetes where we know what causes it, but we're not fixing the cause. We're just addressing the symptom with these drugs. Yeah. And, and just if you start, re- when you start to re- notice the the language used in these articles, and this is probably the last thing we'll need to, need to say about this, but in the article about the new Norvo Nordisk drug, the closing sentence is more than two in five adults have obesity, according to the National Institutes of Health. About one in 11 adults have severe obesity. So it's not are obese, it's have obesity. And that is a little word and maybe too nuanced to make a big deal about it, but it is not a disease. You could qualify it just as you want, as much as you want that it's a disease. It is not a disease. Type 2 diabetes might be a disease, but again, we know how to fix it. It, But certainly to say diabetes is, I'm sorry, obesity is a disease is ridiculous. And the fact that a CNBC has started to started this messaging should be troubling. And that's one of the little things people need to look at when they read these columns and read these articles. We start labeling more and more things diseases now. That's, uh, I guess that links people to the quick fix drug, which makes the drug companies make a little bit more profit um, with it. It seems to be a a syndrome. I, I like the uh, the segue and I think it's good because I, I, I've enjoyed watching you. I always follow your Instagram and I hope our audience does too. Remind them how to, to follow you there. But you, yeah, you've been in, um, you've been describing a, a training method that I, I'd love for you to touch on with our audience today if possible. Yeah. So I, I here's a, there's a couple of things that we could start with to set up the philosophy. If you haven't been seeing my Post and haven't or aren't familiar with my approach. I, I'm well past the phase of thinking there's, so let's take it back even a step further. There is a majority school of thought in this field of, of, of athletic development that feels there's this need for a, a never ending progression. And when you hear people say progression, 
basically it's a fancy way of telling you you're always going to be lifting more weight. And the lazy man's, in my opinion, the lazy man's approach is that that's the only stimulus we need to give the body, and that's the only stimulus the body really needs to respond to in order to get better. And that's lazy because all that means is I could give you the same exercises and the same basic workout, and all we need to do is make it so that you lift two and a half pounds heavier, five pounds heavier, so on and so forth, which is why you see these ridiculous videos on social media in local high schools, in person, and in any place you go with guys squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing stupid amounts in, 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 in a way that has nothing to do with getting them better for this sport. So my philosophy is people move poorly, and that's really the problem we have with a lot of these injury issues in all sports, especially we've talked baseball ad nauseum, but many sports, a lot of the issues we have injury-wise come from inappropriate training. So I'm always looking at ways to give the body a new stimulus. And, and, and really I was having this discussion with a colleague this week that the word routine should be limited to the fact that you're going to do your workouts on certain days of the week. You know, I have my routine. It's I go five days a week rather other than that. I think you need to break any kind of model or, or pattern that you have and not use a model of I'm going to do X, Y, Z on this day, and I'm going to do the next X, Y, Z on the second day, and so on and so forth. You should never do the same thing on the same days. And some days you could do the same things in, you know, you should never do the same things in in order. And you should always be changing your order of what you're doing. And why is that important? Well, because once your body get your body's always trying to find you know that homeostasis. It's trying to get to that point where it's it's uh, it's new. It's basically neutral. So what happens is the more you train it, and say you you're doing, and I'm going to use the old school model of you're going to do legs one day, you're going to do push the second day, and you're going to do pull the third day, and you're doing the same thing every day. Your body adapts to that, and is it's no longer enough of a stimulus to elicit change. And that's why even these two pound increments, five pound increments, 10, whatever the increments are that people go up there, that's their only thought process in how to change it. And I am not going to sit here and I don't recommend the bench press. It's as a matter of fact, I've had ongoing disputes with people about the bench press is the biggest waste of time there is. If you're going to bench press then and you want to make it a, a, a stimulus that's going to have your body change, you can't do the same thing all the time. You can't do the same five sets of five reps where guys lie on the bench in between. It's just it's never going to be enough to change you from a standpoint of being an athlete. If you want to bench press more, great, but that doesn't help you as far as being an athlete. So you need to constantly change the order of things. You need to mix up your exercises. You need to mix up strength. With speed, you need to do a lot of different things that you would never traditionally think of doing in the same workout. You need to do that in a workout because that's what happens when you're playing a sport. You're never just using your strength in a sport. You're never just using your speed in a sport. We're not talking about track and field, but we're talking about court and and field sports. And you need to always mix those things up because that's how your body has to operate when you're competing. Now, that's good good advice. Now, you, you mentioned... So when you're mixing it up, is it that's a way to stimulate 
muscle growth, muscle strength, tissue growth, t- tissue strength. Well, it's, um, it's going to be a stimulus it's because you're changing, you're giving your body something it's not used to. That's, that's basically the, the, the guideline. What, what can I do to get my body to be sur- basically surprised slash shocked by what I'm doing to it? Now you're, you're talking about an athlete. Is that, do you also employ that with you and would you, I mean, would you recommend me Absolutely. Too? Everybody. I mean, there's nothing to me more depressing. You go to a gym and you watch people work out and they're obviously following some kind of program and they're sitting on the machine and maybe they are looking at what their workout is in front of them or they're just on their phone because they're bored and they know that I could do, I have to do four sets of this and I'm going to move to the next machine and do four sets of that. You could go go to the gym and watch. I, I can go to the gym and watch that, and almost any gym you go to, you're going to see that, which is that is not exercise that is going to serve as a stimulus for any kind of change, whether you're a, uh, a recreational athlete or you're a high-level athlete and anyone in between. Yeah. And nice, it's, nice. it's kind of hard to get into in a short period of time, so that's why I'm kind of keeping it from a – a big picture standpoint, but I like to say, and even to coaches, or I'll have people ask me all the time, is it right to do these things together? And my response is, if the exercises themselves are being performed properly, there's no better right or wrong way to group exercises, as long as you're always changing that up. Yeah. I used to do, um, and again, this was when I was a competing athlete. I do it a little bit now, but not to as high an extreme I spend more time on mobility, but when I would do weights, I would be concerned about about four things. Some days I would do drop sets, which is, you know, if I was working body parts, I would start at a weight that I could do comfortably and then I would exhaust it. You know, I'd get to 15, as long as I didn't lose form, um, just to, I guess, train stamina. That was my theory anyway. Um, yeah, but that, so, that is, once you start going slow, you're killing yourself athletically. So I, I don't ever train to failure. I think that's a, uh, uh, it's an impediment to athletic performance. There was, there was a weight training program that, that was basically their whole premise. Um, cybergenics, was that cybergenics? Could be. I mean, there, I just saw a post last week that someone says, unless you're training to failure, you're never going to see any gains. That's probably the most ridiculous thing you could say in 2000, in 20,000, I'm sorry, in 2023. And yeah. that's just, you know, we, nothing, people haven't learned anything in, 50 years since exercise and, and training has come into the forefront. It's a ridiculous well, thing to say. I'll, I'll put my hand up and say I was guilty of that as, so was a, I. as an athlete. And it shortened my – again, I played two sports as a college athlete, and I know that was – I felt like I had to do stuff. But my philosophy was, you know, I wanted to give every bit of energy I had to today because anything left over was lost forever. And that's, I say it out loud and, and that's an asinine comment and statement to make. And I, I share that with all young athletes out there. You want to give everything you got, you want to bust it as hard as you can, but not leaving anything in the tank for the next day is, was just flat out stupid. I did that for a lifetime. Um, yeah, even, as a, even as a coach, I did it, Sal. Yeah. There's people still doing it. That's the, there's, I ha, my, my buddy, Ron, who I talk about and I speak with multiple times a day especially this time of year, it's, it's sad that we laugh at it, but we get, he gets co- We, we all both get copies of workouts of athletes from everything to D three, from D three to D one that are, unfortunately they're laughable. And it's unfortunate that 
that our, that's our defense mechanism because we feel so powerless to change this because we have these young athletes we work with and they never have injury issues. They are high-performing athletes and they go to college and they break down. That's not some lack of resiliency that certain individual athletes have. It is it, it is what's happening at college athletics. They It becomes a, a survival of the fittest in the most negative way possible that they beat kids up and only the kids who can somehow negotiate that and make it through relatively healthy are the ones that can succeed. Yeah. It's like hunger games. It is. It is. I had a colleague that was the head strength coach at a big 10 university. And he would say all the time that they had this attitude of if the first kid can't handle it, we have five or six other kids at that next spot that someone in that group is going to be able to handle it. It was never the thought that they were ruining kids or doing things to re- hold back their progress. It was the kids for it was the, the kids not tough enough. The kid doesn't work hard enough. That's the most uh, insulting, shocking. I, I, you could use any adjective in that regard that these kids are being blamed for the approach used by these coaches, this ignorance of coaches. Yeah, well, because if there's accountability, people are going to lose very high-paying jobs. For well, there's no accountability. Look, in, look at pro sports. Look at the yeah. Yankees. You know, we talk about it ad nauseum. The Yankees, you know, they hire another guy at six hundred grand a year. Their injury problems are ridiculous. Same stuff. What's the definition of insanity, right? Doing yeah. the same thing every time and expecting a different result. And that's what all these major league teams are doing. We still haven't gotten a call from anybody, though, right, Dave? As far as what to take over a yeah to help try to help out yeah we haven't heard anything that's all right we'll let them keep uh, let them keep doing what they're doing you know you look at it, even like you know I don't want to digress too far with it but you mentioned the Yankees Aaron Judge again you know as much as we were all rooting for him to get that big contract and last year was a great season I mean you could bet the bank on it that he wasn't going to play 110 games this year and I know the toe thing was him busting through the wall. I thought that was, you know, again, we hit media earlier. I thought the Yankees manipulated the media on that. They, I mean, they, and I don't, I think they have a history of it too, where they hid, I think they hid the severity of his injury. Oh, I, there's no question. I, I, I can't say anything more than what I'll say is that happens all the time. It happens in, in every sport, major, major and minor. It's happened in college, major and minor that I'm aware of firsthand at all three levels. It happens at the pro level. It's when someone breaks the silence. I remember, you know, there was a big hullabaloo. How's that for a word? When uh, I believe it was Giselle made the comment that Tom Brady played with a concussion because whether he wanted to or the team made him, and they had a she had to, you know, walk that back. Though that I had no question that that was true because that's what the discussions are that go on at home. I know for sure that's happened, and I know it's happened in other cases. So word, what was that word? Hullabaloo. 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 Like I'm going to get a turtle and name it Hullabaloo. <laughs> I love that word. It made me smile when you said it. I didn't even know what it meant, but I uh, made Yeah, it's like smile. a brouhaha kind of thing. Yeah. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it tomorrow. Well, with you know, with your philosophy of training, obviously I'm familiar with it, and I think you described it well to the audience, and they, they know your, your background and where you stand on stuff. So I'm comfortable kind of moving into this. So, so take a look at if we want to make it tangible. 
You know, I, we, I share with you some of the groups that we help out. We're involved with kids globally, helping them out with scholarships. And I think it's over 500 kids now uh, in four years that we've helped get uh, scholarships for basketball, baseball, softball, a few soccer. Um, but, you know, we also are working with kids and you've worked with you've worked with some of them and done a phenomenal job. And we also have kids now in our backyard. We decided, hey, we're helping kids from Brazil, Qatar, California, New York. I mean, we're dealing with 46 countries with the scholarship stuff in pretty much every state in the country. So we decided to dip into our backyard. And I, I explained to you, and I kind of want to get your opinion on how you would address it. But we have a nice group of baseball players that work with us. We, we employ you know, multi-sport athletes. We want them to, to be multi-sports. We try to work with their schedules. We also run basketball programs. We have a couple hundred kids in the basketball program. Same type of thing. Young kids, you know, as young as eight, all the way up to, you know, 16, 17. And these kids are all playing, and this is the sad part, they're all playing multi-sports, but they're doing it year round, um, you know, where there's never a rest time. So there's yeah. got to be a way to train these athletes moderately, I would guess, to help them be successful, injury-free. You know, what, how, how would you address my group? Because right now we're playing both sports at the same time. You know, we we have, uh, you know, five kids doing both sports with us, with basketball and baseball uh, on our older teams. And, but you know, a bunch of younger kids, some are playing soccer, some are swimming, some are playing lacrosse. Um, you know, how, how would you start, how would you touch our group? You know, I guess with, with well, so so it's a again we could do ten hours. What the club system is what where the change is going to come from. However, the club system could also make things worse, and it depends on what the club wants to do, how the club wants to conduct itself. The club is going to see these kids more than their high school coach, right? The, unless you're in a state, and I'm not aware of states that allow out of season competition to be coached by their high school coach. So in other words, oh, I'm not aware of, I'm not yeah. aware of the state, right? That if you're a basketball player, well, I should in the summer here in New Jersey, your your high school coach can coach you. But yeah. that being South said, Carolina. South Carolina, they're in it now. I mean it's been going on for a month and a half now. Right. So the summer is different, but but still for the most part up here, club coaches are seeing their kids more than their high school coaches for the most part. And the clubs have a chance because the clubs get these kids earlier. You have kids, Dave, that are – and parents. The parents have to be part of this process. You have kids 11, 12, 13 that are good players. And parents out there that are listening, how many times have you had a kid as a 12, 13, 14-year-old that you hear a coach say, we got to just got to get him bigger and stronger? When you hear that from a coach, run away from him because nothing's going to get a kid bigger at that age other than his maturation process and good diet. So if they're talking about bigger, fat, bigger and stronger by getting him in the weight room, run. I can tell you plenty of stories of kids that have done that and have gone to the weight room and have ruined their or severely negative, negatively impacted their, their careers because of that. So the club needs to get a – true progression and be what what people don't realize is even though there might be a guideline and there are guidelines there are legitimate science-based guidelines that say you shouldn't have kids of a certain age lifting weights that that is not 
um, something that is off base. The, the way things have been presented with, with working out is that a kid's never too young. That's that's kind of what has happened recently, and that's actually not true. And and again, just because your fourteen year old might be ready to 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 lift some weights, that doesn't mean that my fourteen year old would be ready. So there needs to be a recognition, A, that there is a progression and it starts somewhere around 10. And again, we could get into the weeds with this, but I'm not going to. There's a there's a basic formula that includes how much specific work for the sport should be done, how much competition should be done, how much, quote, training should be done, and how much general play should be done. And that mix changes as kids get older, and it's a little different for males and females. So that's Really, the first thing the club has to know is to be aware of that. So if I were advising you, Dave, I would say, let's look at your different groups. And I'm not saying we're going to ignore your kids that are going to be seniors, but those kids have kind of run the course with you. And certainly we can do things to help them improve. But the real highlight or the real focus should be on the youngest group that you have and getting these kids and their parents to understand the last thing you want your kid to do to improve is get in the weight room. And there's plenty of work we could do. There's plenty of work, Dave, even in the framework of what you said, you felt you worked too hard. There's plenty of work you can do in that space that is still going to make you better and is not going to have the negative wear and tear effect that, or the negative performance effect that so many of these traditional approaches have. Yeah. I, th- I think it's made me a better coach having gone through that because I wasn't guided by anybody. I don't put any blame on anybody for how I worked out and trained. It was experimental. I was trying to learn, trying to figure out ways to get better. And as a result, you know, as we have our conversations, I'm able to be a little bit more self-aware about, you know, the younger me and say, these are not the same training methods that I employ on my kids. It, but I like what you said um, about, you know, making the parents the first educator of this process. And also there's no cookie cutter. You know, you talk, you, you kind of touched on each kid's going to be different. Males and females are going to be different. The age is going to be different. And we kind of hit on that too. This, this would fit really well with ours because that's how we develop our basketball and baseball systems. It's team oriented, but each kid has an individual program working backwards from what they want to do eventually. And then loosely to where they're at now, because it changes but we also get into their learning and socialization habits as well, because that's part of educating them. We have to know that. And these club sports nationally, you know, I always ask parents that, well, the skill trainer called me or this team called me. They said this, 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 I said, let's break it down. Ask them to explain to you how you learn, how you socialize, you know, break down your game from where you want to go to where you're at. And if they can answer that, then it's worth having a conversation. But these are, it's a collective neglect mentality. And as you pointed out, there's, there's a lot of bad that's happening. Right well, now. And, and really the space is there for clubs to do the right thing and, and take away from high schools that don't invest in coaches that are the best coaches for their kids. I can't tell you how many stories I know firsthand and been involved with guys who did not get jobs because they didn't teach in the school or they weren't even a teacher. The, yeah. the, the, myth, the myth that has been forwarded to the detriment of the kids is that the best kid, the best person to teach your kid or the best kid to, I'm sorry, the best coach to coach your kid is a teacher in the building. That, to me, is a, another lazy approach that is similar to the concept of the best way to get better by working out is to always add weight, to have this never-ending in, in, uh, progression where you're lifting more, or trying to lift more. It's a it's a lazy person's approach. Um, so the club, 
again, being in the marketplace and a club like yourselves, yourself could show, well, here's our track record. We have a very low injury rate. We have a very high success rate of sending kids to college. We're involved with our kids' academic performance, which also helps them get into college. So there's all these opportunities for the club to get involved that we really fill the void that's needed because a lot of the high schools are not doing it anymore. I, my first method, and I think I'm, I've resided that I'm going to try your approach now, but my first method was because you and I grew up in an era where high school sports was, was pretty important. It was a part of your life. There was no, none of this travel stuff. It was all, everything was local, regional. And um, I really think that had some value to how I developed, but I tried hard with this program to, you know, engage with the high schools. And I mean, it was, it was, it, it just, it wasn't worth my time to do because. No, it's not. Them, they, they just didn't get that. They didn't get it. And that's well, the they're, best they, they're part of the failed model that it's, it's just like the people in the strength and conditioning athletic development field that are going to just do the same thing they've done for 50 years. When, let's go back to something you said about when you were younger. You know, it worked when I was in high school in the 70s and in middle school. It worked to be in the weight room and just kind of doing whatever because back then, it's hard to imagine, but back then there were still programs that did nothing. There was no weight room in high schools. There was no organized weightlifting. So the big difference in the programs back then were between the teams that worked out and lifted in quotes, and the teams that did it. And you could almost look at the success rate of who did and who didn't, and there was a correlation between just the teams that were in the weight room and the teams that were successful. Now, everybody does it, and oh, yeah. the difference is going to come from who does it better and or who and, and what it's wound up being almost who doesn't beat their kids up yeah. most. That's almost what it's progressed to, which is sad. No, I, I – I, I follow your, your pattern of thinking on that. And I, I agree. It's, we, you know, we, we, we hit on it on all of our shows agree in some capacity that the best way to get stronger in a sport is to do the sport itself. There's no shortcut. There's no lifting. I guess there are some lifts that so you could talk about that, but there's no magic lift that makes you a better hitter. Especially um, baseball. You know, like I said to you, if we got in a position where we were, uh, czar of someone's team if we took over a team <clears throat> we'd get rid of the weight room and there you'd have to earn your way back in that and that would be the beginning of it and you again the article the argument can be made that that's the right approach the argument that that supports the status quo cannot be made you they, they they're it's uh, it's there's no they have nothing on which to stand on except failure and the injury rates so so again, so we say it tongue in cheek. Someone's going to give a call to somebody to change the way their team is run, and they're going to be sick of having hundreds of millions of dollars of payroll sitting on the uh, on the injured list. Yeah, that that alone. I mean, these people that are running major sports. You know, we talk baseball since that's our kind of our forte, but their their forte is finance, building business, and I've never seen more bad decisions on players, for instance, more bad decisions regarding business. You know, it's like the reduction of the minor league system. What business entity reduces its entry point like Major League Baseball did with Minor League Baseball? And then you get, you know, 
just ridiculous things like what happened at Dodger Stadium last week. Thank God Clayton Kershaw spoke up and, and uh, you know, but they still did some some dumb things. But baseball and sports in general, the what we're talking about is, you know, health lifting, you know, making better athletes. But the theme of bad decision making by these guys who are supposed to be into finance and business is alarming. And I just I wonder, you know, just how reputable those degrees are. And that well, they get. and again, it's just, I don't know, it seems to me that the money is a mirror. It used to be, what was it, what, what did they say, winning is the best cologne or winning covers up all the problems? Oh, it's the it deodorant seems, of all team problems. Right. So now it seems like if you just throw money at something, that's your excuse and that gives you a shield. You know what, the, being in the New York, New Jersey area, that now that it's been so bad, they even stopped with this nonsensical line of reasoning that you know, you're not up here, but I, I'm sure you remember hearing, Oh, New York fans won't stand for a rebuild. They want success right away. And really what success of any New York team had recently, not probably nothing as far as I can. No, my, my son Tanner's 14. He's never seen a Yankee championship. So, well there, and that's the great example of that. I mean, they won one, I think they won the first year they were in the new Yankee Stadium with A-Rod, and they haven't had anything since. That's 20-something years of futility and wasted money, and the stupid New York Mets are going to do the same thing. I was reading an article today, and it's all the same platitudes and cliches. I did not realize they were the most expensive team in, in Major League history. It's embarrassing to watch that happen and people to act as if it's a short-term problem that's going to be fixed. And and again, because they throw money at it, you think, oh, okay, it'll be fine. And it, we know that it's not going to be fine. So, no. Well, um, so let, let me just say one more thing. So the club, yeah. so the club sport, the clubs really have an opportunity. And what my pitch has been to some of the clubs I've worked with is you have an opportunity to distinguish yourself from the other clubs because you're not just giving – kids swag and taking them to tournaments and basically letting them run around and play. You are involved in their development that is going to have a lasting impression that's going to have a lasting effect on their success, whether it's in high school, whether it's in college, whether it's just in general, how they conduct themselves. So the clubs need to step up and kind of earn their keep, so to speak. It's not enough anymore to just be there for them and give them this opportunity to get recruited. And which is happening, I'm sure, I don't have to tell you, club baseball has overtaken high school baseball, at least from what I'm hearing in New Jersey, except for the most outstanding players. There's a kid from my hometown where I have my business who was named the New Jersey Player of the Year and the Pitcher of the Year, and he's going to Florida. And a lot of that was because of high school. But for every kid like that, there's kids that are really making it on their their club performance. And those are some of the boys that we both work with, that we work with uh, the same group. That's what's yeah. going to happen for them. So these clubs really have a great opportunity. And it's it's not a big it's not a big cost. You know, Dave, and it, I mean this in a good way, if the parent wants to get their kid better, they're willing to pay almost everything, almost anything for that. And I think when you give them good value for it, that even enhances that willingness. Yeah, it's so, well, you know, baseball, club sports have overtaken high school sports in basketball, baseball, even football now, where there's seven on seven. And the reason it has, 
is not because it's better. Um, there's there's a lot of awful things going on out there with it. But the NCAA is a legislative body, and they restructured the recruiting calendar and the days you can watch players. All of it revolves around the club sports system and not the high school anymore. So it's they've made the high school situation obsolete. People don't look at that. Um, now, high school didn't do it themselves justice by, you know, they got to fight back and they've got to, you're not involved with legislation. You're going to, you're eventually going to be obsolete. So, well, well, yeah, the high schools have, well, ultimately they have that cudgel of controlling the athlete while they're in school. But I, I've talked to some athletes who are, again, not that this is something I agree with, but I can see their position. I know athletes in soccer and baseball that have had bad experiences at their high school that they were not going to play their senior year with the tacit approval of the colleges they're going to because the colleges rec- uh, recognize the problems that are at the high school level. Yeah. So if I'm, once, I'm, once I'm we cross that, once we cross that root river, once we cross that line, the schools are going to be in big trouble. So, well, my uh, kids, my two boys don't well, probably, and I, we, we did get approached by a nice private school today that, they could do homeschool here and, um, you know, and still, still do the sports, but, you know, they have no intentions of playing high school sports. They don't need to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of become, they've taken kids for granted for so long. This evolution has, it's, by the way, it's killed little league. I don't know if we've talked about it on my show, on this show here. No. But I think we talked about it on the show with the guys when we started the, the network. But Little League in this part of New Jersey has been killed by club baseball. Because, oh, yeah. It's everywhere. Because it, was, it was daddy ball, because it was lousy uh, organization, because and, and because the clubs started to give you a better option. And it's killed, it's killed Little League, and it's going to kill – it's already killed high school baseball too – but high school baseball, it's going to take a lot longer for it really to, to be a non-factor. But it's certainly way less of a factor than most people ever could have imagined. Yeah. Well, here's one one piece. And I, and I agree with you with high school hasn't done itself any favors with stuff. I, you know, my, again, we were a different era. We, we grew up in a different era than the kids nowadays. Um, my, my high school coaches were good. I mean, they, they knew the game. They were organized. I, I don't know that that's the case anymore. I think it's more of a revolving door. I wouldn't want to coach high school sports. I mean, uh, with, with how litigious things are nowadays, I'd be on Twitter in like two seconds. But uh, yeah, the 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 club sports have, I, I think I agree with you with the Little League. I mean, I'm looking back in my area in upstate New York and the Little Leagues are dismantled. It's uh, They don't even exist. Maybe there's two teams now where there used to be like, there'd be like 20, 30 teams per age group. Uh, playing and everybody wanted to play where they had to split the town up into three different leagues because there's so many kids but um, yeah it's a shame but I, I I would like to use our group you know with you maybe let's we've talked about the good the bad and the ugly there, there's obviously all of that with with club high school but taking the club situation that we're doing right now I think maybe we set the example and we, we create a system, as we've talked about here in the show, and maybe that's the standard bearer. Rather than waiting for an MLB club to call us to turn them around, we, we can maybe start it in the middle somewhere. Right. Well, that's that's the way – I think that's the way you're going to make some change. You'll, you'll at least know that you've done your best and you've at least helped them avoid some of the pa- – uh, 
pitfalls that they could run into before they get to college. The, uh, once they get to college, you know, you have to let go because you, you know from your athletes, they, they're if they're paying for the kid, then they have first say. You're never going to change it. And unless you're a superstar kind of kid, uh, I work with a pro uh, pro lacrosse player who had that situation where he played in college and he went into the coach and said, look, coach, you, I'm, I'm the top producing kid on the team. I've been a captain for, you know, my two, two of my three years already. He was a sophomore captain as a sophomore and a junior. And he said, what was going on in the weight room was killing me. And I'm, I'm not going to be a negative, but I'm not going to do some of these things. And the, the more kids that do that and the more coaches that realize every sport is not football and every sport is not deadlifting and powerlifting stuff and pushing and pulling sleds, the better off our athletes are going to be. So, Yeah, I think we do. We, my phrase I use to our families is whether we're doing recruiting or our club stuff is we're going to make you dummy proof where you can go in and you can learn how to navigate like your pro lax guy did and you know kind of talking a lot about lax the world across things going on right now i have not i you you've kind of gotten me into it a little bit uh yeah. but uh t- what's going on there oh it's, it's it's very interesting you've got i uh, believe there were 40 teams and really what it is it's it's almost like basketball was when we were growing up where it was the united states when i was a kid it was the united states and russia and then everybody else was kind of battling for third. You have the United States and Canada here at the World Games, and you have what used to be called the Iroquois National Team, which now we're called, and I forgive my pronunciation because I don't know if this is correct, Hadenesi, uh, which is the new name for what would be the, the, native, uh, the native team. And, you know, there's a fair amount of, of D1, high-level D1 guys on the team, one of the best players in the world, uh, Thompson is on that is, is part of that. The, there's a Thompson family that are legendary lacrosse players, Lyle Thompson, and um, they are probably a solid third. They they really fought hard against the United States and Canada. But what's very interesting are these mid level teams that are really starting to develop their own talent. So in other words, you'll you're going to have some players. For instance, I know a, 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 the, one of the teams I work with, uh, the Ch- Chatham, New Jersey, their head coach plays, played at Rutgers, played, plays in the PLL, plays in the indoor league. He's playing for Team England because some of the rules, that's, the how, that's how they populate some of these teams with better players. There's some easier guidelines so some of these teams can be more competitive. They don't have to obviously be natives or live in the country to play, but there are teams like Jamaica. Uh, Israel has become pretty good. Uh, the Japanese, they lost to the Hedenesi today. They're very good. They've been very good. They had a good showing in the sixes, which is a shortened version of this, uh, of lacrosse, which was back last year. So there, it's these mid-level teams, it's interesting to see them progress. And uh, like I said, some of the, the less experienced teams are quite, quite, quite many level many levels below the top teams, but it's amazing to see how the overall quality of play has increased. So we're in the winner's quote bracket now. We're going to work towards uh, the first, which is the the championship game. It really should be the United States and Canada, but I recommend people check it out. It's on ESPN+. And where, where is it being played? Uh, it's out in San Diego. Uh, the last one was five years ago. I think we got pushed out a year because of COVID, 
The last championships were in Israel, um, and I believe it was 2018. And uh, so this is uh, we're in San Diego. Okay, and Dion, you said the championships are this Sat- week. Are Sat- or the first, or I believe the first is Saturday. It is. Yep, Ju- July one's coming up already. There, so we've got the fourth next week. We'll try to get our shows in next week. Any parting shots for the audience? Say anything we forgot? We we usually give them I their money's worth here. To, to kind of reinforce some of the topics we spoke about today, just go to my Instagram, Coach Sal's Playmakers, and you really get a really good sense for what I do visually uh, to back up some of the things we've spoken about here. Yeah, so our, our audience, and especially the, the audience you were speaking to today with our families, they know you now, the, the ones we recruit from and recruit for, and then the ones that play for us. So you're you're a uh, household name, haven't been, you know, haven't, they, a few of them have met you in person, but uh, hopefully today's show prompts some thought. And I know our families are listening and other families out there. Gosh, if you want us to help design a program for your club, we, we could certainly take what we did today and apply it to what you're trying to do. And, you know, we don't care who the first uh, satellite program is. We'll, we'll go anywhere, talk to anybody to help them do it. Right. Yeah. That, yep. Okay. Just well, throwing that out there. Uh, get back yep. to us on DM. You can hit Sal up, hit me up and, We'll be more than happy to collaborate on on a uh, a program that matches the philosophies that we talk about on this show. So you could be the the official, the the hot corner, or, you know, real voice of the game, wherever wherever they want to call it. We'll make sure that we uh, we use our philosophies on this show, specifically this one, to help turn your club around here. So, well, with that, so hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get this this show will be recorded. It's on a Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be out Friday morning to our audience. But I want to thank our audience, twenty almost 20,000 faithful subscribers. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review so we can keep battling the analytics of the podcast world like they do in Major League Baseball. We can keep giving you great content every week like Sal does here on the Hot Corner. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, those are all our streaming devices. Hit us up on one of those. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, as Sal, he gave you his Instagram page. Please be active with him. Some great content there. It's free content, so take advantage of it. And then with us, hit us up Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I get back to one guest every day live and everybody else privately. We're in 72 countries now. We've been at that mark for a while. I'm trying to get that 73rd. Maybe lacrosse will help us get to that 73rd. What was that? What was the uh, the, the, the one group? The, the, uh, was it Native uh, American? Again, I butcher the name, It's the but it, it's the former Iroquois national team is the Hedenesi, I believe okay. it's pronounced. I wonder, will that count as another country if they get involved? I don't know. I don't know. It depends on you. Could be a loophole. We'll go get it. So if you're listening in there, lacrosse, we'll make sure we get it out there. Let's let's see if we can get that country up to 73rd. We'll support you in the, the upcoming championships for lacrosse. But we're hitting grassroots all the way to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And, you know, as our audience asks us, we, we I think we delivered and reminding, just prepare to embrace the the uncomfortable truths out there. Baseball life. We talked medicine today. We, we hit a little lax. Uh, and it's club baseball. So just get, we hit those uncomfortable truth because this program, like all of our program, just has no time for comforting lies out there. So, Sal, great show today. It's a PM show. Usually we're AM people, but uh, got a PM show. Thanks for being up and alert and ready to roll here tonight. So great Thank show today, guy. Thanks, Dave.